0: Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the ju 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to ju 3 projectorg and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project. And today I'm excited to bring you a special guest who's been on here before. So she's no stranger to the Jude 3 Project, Mrs. Nona Jones. Welcome. Welcome, Nona. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It's such an honor to be here. Thank you for joining us. For those who didn't see you on our previous episode, just tell our audience a little bit about who you are.
1: Sure. So, um, I wear a number of hats quite literally and figuratively. Um, uh, in my day job, I lead faith partnerships at Facebook. Uh, my mm-hmm. husband and I also pastor a local church in Gainesville, Florida, and, uh, I am in ministry. I, I, get to travel over the world, uh, declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in various cultural contexts. And, uh, Written a couple books. I have two children, you
0: know, there's there's a whole bunch, but uh I think above all, I love the Lord. So I'm just honored to be here. Awesome. I'm glad to have you. You have an organization called Faith and Prejudice. Um, tell us a little bit about the organization and how what was the the uh the motivation for you starting it?
1: Yeah, well let me tell you, um it's amazing how God works. So I was not looking for another thing to do, as uh, as you probably heard in my last description. Um, I have a very full life, uh, and yet last year, you know, after George Floyd was murdered, um, you know, because I have a ministry that again it crosses cultural and racial lines. There were several pastors who reached out to me and they said, you know, hey, would you do a podcast on race or will you send us a sermon on race? Because, of course, we were quarantined. So send us a video uh, or be on a panel about race. And, you know, I'm always happy to to do that. I'm I'm a black woman in America, so I definitely have a perspective. Uh, But I also know as someone who who loves uh, my heritage, loves my history. That there are people who have been dedicated their, their lives to these issues and so uh, i prayed about it and i asked the lord for for just clarity on how i could contribute and he gave me the vision for faith and prejudice which at the time was hosting a, a week of conversations on facebook through facebook live with um, civil rights leaders, with scholars and theologians and advocates, um, people that I think the broader white church community uh, would not know, but people who have really made an impact in this country. And uh, we did it. Uh, we hosted the week in partnership with about 150 churches around the U.S., um, the majority of them were predominantly white congregations, mega churches, um, but we hosted it. And uh, we had people like Ambassador Andrew Young, Dr. Barbara Williams Skinner, um, Dr. Tony Evans, Latasha Morrison, people like Brian Stevenson, Dr. Bernice King. It was a really powerful week. Richard Rothstein, who wrote The Color of Law, exploring the history of race in the church, the history of race in America, the criminal injustice system, um, the economics of race. And uh, by the end of the week, uh, we had about six million people tuned in uh, to the conversations. And I think, you know, in my mind, I was like, all right, Lord, you know, I did what you said. Now I'm going back to my regularly scheduled life. And God was like, ah, not so fast because people were like, all right, what's next? And so Faith and Prejudice really became um, a a galvanizing moment. It became a place where uh, we wanted to uh, really equip churches to confront and dismantle systemic racism first by educating them on the issue but then secondly uh, by giving them tools and programs uh, that they can implement at the local level in order to address the issue and so that's that's what faith and prejudice is about um, you know a year later god has blessed us uh, and, and we have a vision of uh, resourcing and mobilizing 100,000 churches uh, we are nowhere near that number but uh, that's the vision god's given us and so um, that's what we're pushing for
0: that, that's awesome. Um, I think a lot of churches just don't know what to do, um, and so they need resources to to help equip them. What is some of the feedback you've been hearing that's probably most shocking to you, um, and then something that maybe excites you about the feedback you're hearing?
1: Yeah, so I'll give you feedback uh, both on the, the positive side as well as the um, challenging side. Um, Feedback that we've heard on the positive side is that there have been countless examples of um, white brothers and sisters who have come to um, the work that we've done and they have allowed themselves to be challenged. And so many of them have said, you know what, my mind and my heart has been changed. I had no idea uh, I thank God for this ministry. I thank God for what you're doing because um, by changing hearts and changing minds, we're going to change this nation. And so that's been awesome. I think on the challenging side, what's been shocking is uh, I guess I was either naive or I think it's more so unaware of just how entrenched uh, white supremacy is within the the mind and heart of so many uh, white Christians. I I had, I had no idea, but we became very aware of that because, uh, so for our work, we, we use the Bible, like the Bible is our framework. We don't pull from any, you know, as, as everyone's talking about now, you know, legal frameworks and, you know, we don't pull from any of that philosophical frameworks. We pull from the Bible because theology is, is, it stands on its own. And, uh, what's been interesting is as we have shared, just straight scripture. Uh, we've had people uh, say that we're Marxists and we're socialists and we're communists. Um, we shared a scripture the other day. Uh, I'll have to I'll have to actually read it to you. But we shared a scripture the other day where uh, a gentleman he said, "Oh, that's critical race theory." Um, and what we were sharing uh, was straight out of Ezekiel. It's Ezekiel chapter twenty, verse four. It says, "Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them?" Then make them know accurately and understand fully the repulsive acts of their fathers, and so we we shared that scripture again, uh, just as the framework. Because people have been saying, you know, just move on, this is over. Why are you still talking about this stuff? And I'm like, because the Bible compels <laughs> us <laughs> to, and so it's been surprising how many um, people who profess uh, to be Christian are very much so uh, steeped in white supremacy and, and they don't even want to admit it. But when you start to drill down to their beliefs, they, they really are. So that that's been surprising. I think what gives me hope, though, is, again, just seeing how many hearts and minds have been changed. Uh, there are people who you know are, are like, look, please don't quit. Please don't give up. Um, I think back to, you know, of course, people like Dr. Martin Luther King, I think on James Baldwin and Rosa Parks. And and I'm constantly thinking about all of these people like, okay, how, (laughs) Mm -hmm. how did they stay in the fight for so long? Um, And it's grace. At the end of the day, that's the answer. It's grace. And so I, I have hope because we're hearing the same arguments that they heard, you know, 50 years later, 60 years later, um, but we have access to the same grace, and so um, I believe that God has called us to this work, and we're gonna we're gonna stay stay where we have been called.
0: That, that's awesome. Um, do you think that um, more secular institutions are more open to uh, diversity than uh, white evangelical institutions? Uh, I remember I was doing some consulting work for a major white evangelical organization, and they said, D- how much hope do you have in white evangelicalism? And I said, honestly, I have more hope in Netflix diversity strategy than white evangelicals. And that gave them pause. They were like, what? And I was like, because they, they understand, corporate understands that there's a problem, whether they're yeah. Uh, whether their intentions are pure and white evangelicals are denying that a problem yeah. is this. Um, yeah. From you being, having a foot in both spaces, how how do you think about like the those in the secular arena handling challenges around race and those in the church?
1: Yeah, let me tell you, um, to be blunt, it breaks my heart. You know, um, as, as someone who uh, knows that Jesus is the answer to everything broken in this world, it seems like the people who are professing Jesus are the ones doing the breaking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that that breaks my heart. Um, And I think it also breaks my heart because um, statistically, 30% of Americans identify as Republican, 31% identify as Democrat, but 65% identify as Christian. And that's more than both major political parties combined. And so, we are not where we are because of politics. We are where we are because of theology, and that's that's why um, there are so many people who can, you know, profess to be Christian. Uh, and on the one hand, they can, you know, say we have to fight for the lives of the unborn. And on the other hand, they can see someone be murdered in the street for no reason and be like, ah, they were a thug and they deserved it. And and so um, it's the same spirit. It's the same attitude, the same ideology that allowed people to, you know, go to church on Sunday and and worship God and then literally leave and go watch uh, a person being lynched uh, as a family affair. It's Mm -hmm. the exact same spirit. And so, yeah, it's heartbreaking. And um, I'm, I'm grateful though, for those, People, I, I just today uh, had an opportunity. I, I talked to uh, Dan Cathy, you know, founder of, of Chick Fil A, and um, he said uh, he, the words he was saying was so powerful. He said, he said, you know, it all has to start with a contrite heart. He said what we're missing, he said as a as a church, and he specifically said the white white evangelical community. He said is the the there's a there's a lack of contrition. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you know get over it move on he said but that's not the gospel like that's not love that's not compassion so um yeah i i definitely see how in corporate spaces there seems to be more empathy now what's interesting though is because i work in the corporate space it's it's like it's like a reversal so there is a a de- great degree of empathy when it comes to racial justice mm-hmm. but when it comes to religious freedom there's this like uh but the reason for that is because of this exact issue is when you have people, you know, saying that they are Christians while at the same time, you know, demonstrating that they, you know, appreciate white supremacist ideology, demonstrating that they are against people's you know, rights to live. And um, and they're wrapping that in you know, scripture. Then it becomes this like tug of war. And so um, I do think that's unfortunate. And we have got to get back uh, to a place of extending uh, compassion. But that has to do with understanding scripture. And there are a lot, of, a lot of my white Christian brothers and sisters that really don't understand scripture. I had a woman the other day tell me, she said, um, you know, Jesus never said seek justice. He said, cast your cares on him. <laughs> And I was like, really? I said, okay, so how does that translate to your uh, election of people based on their stance on you know abortion? Which was like, well, that's different. <laughs> I said, okay. So um, yeah, there's a lot of just intellectual um contorting that happens that uh, just it just doesn't align with with the spirit of God.
0: That's an interesting um connection that you made with the religious freedom. And also justice and dismantling white supremacy, because those who don't want to see race as a problem are really pro um, religious freedom. And so it seems like they're working against their own uh, agenda without even knowing it. And so mm-hmm. I never, never thought about it the way you put it, but that is like, you're undermining your own freedom mm-hmm.
1: because
0: you misrepresent the gospel. That's and exactly. I know, and we know to, to some degree, people will hate us because we serve, serve God because right. they hate it. They hated Christ. But some of it is not them hating mm-hmm. <laughs> Christ It's mm-hmm. the way we, we represent him. That's it's, it'd be a bit horrible at times.
1: Oh, well people I mean I've had people colleagues tell me they'll be like listen I don't have no problem with Jesus. I got a problem with the people who say they follow Jesus. <laughs> and and that's unfortunate because you know how will they hear unless there is a preacher, right? So like like we have to be the ones who are representing Christ in deed and in word, not just in word. And I think that's where we we lose it. Is we're like, oh, I'm going to preach this scripture, but you know, um, again, the thing that's been illuminating to me is how quickly people. Uh, I've actually had to, I had a conversation with another person who you know called our work Marxist. And again, I'm like, look, everything we say, everything we say is biblical. So like, we don't like there. There are people who are coming to us with all these, you know, secular theories, and I'm like, look, you're the secular theorist, not us. Um, And so you're coming to us and saying we're Marxist, but we're giving you nothing but Bible. So ultimately, are you saying that God is Marxist? Like, is that what you're trying to say? (laughs) Because if you're saying that this Bible that we're sharing as the framework for justice is Marxist like that, you start getting into a really slippery slope. And I think people people have to be careful and really pray. And there's a lack of prayer, I think.
0: Yeah, that's. That's um, helpful. I do think it's a lot of, or praying without asking God, like to search me.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> We're reading people... the Bible,
0: but the Bible isn't reading us. That's what's yeah.
1: happening.
0: Yeah. Because a lot of people love to pray and host prayer walks, but they never ask God to like search them and know their thoughts mm-hmm. and show them who they are. Yes. Um, but they're praying for the nation and it's like, oh, okay. Well, God wants to, to show you who's in the mirror before he... He sends you to the nations. Uh, you
1: know, I I I've been thinking a lot
0: about uh Matthew
1: chapter 720, a lot lately. Um, you know, this idea of people who will say, you know, hey, we, you know, we fed, you know, all these hungry people in your name. We, you know, took mission trips to, you know, South America and we, you know, dug wells in Africa and we did all this in your name. And Jesus is gonna be like, sorry, who are you again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I've been thinking about that a lot lately because as I see people quite literally uh, demonstrate this level of just hostility and um, apathy and um, just uh, just it, it just feels like it's it's um a lack of humanity, you know, as I see this, I'm kind of like, do you really know Jesus? Like I just I can't imagine that you do. Of course I can't judge it, but it's like I just I can't imagine that you could know Jesus and not care when when someone is killed in the street or or truly not care. I mean my own grandfather, he fought in World War II. He came back home and he was spat on. He was beaten by people. He was denied a GI loan because he was a black man for no other reason. And and to have that history and be like, "Oh, y'all just need to get over it and move on and stop being a victim." It's like wow that where where does that come from it's it's heartbreaking
0: where's the compassion in mm-hmm. in that um which is one of the reasons why you're doing the summit um the writing wrong summit um tell our audience just a little bit about the summit um and what was the motivation behind it
1: yeah well you know there are so many people who I think over this last year, they have definitely had their conscience um, awakened to the need to right the wrongs of racial injustice in this country, which then begs the question, okay, well, what do I do about it? And so um, the Writing Wrong Summit is it's a three-day virtual summit. Um, you, you don't have to be on the whole time because it's going to be available on demand, but it's designed to explore both the theological and the practical application of repentance forgiveness, and conciliation. I don't use the word reconciliation because that presumes that everything was okay and we just need, you know, something broke and we just need to get back, you know, to being okay. It was never okay. So um, uh, we're, we're going to take some time to look at, you know, what does scripture say about repentance? What does scripture say about forgiveness? Uh, what does scripture say about uh, the work of, of righting wrongs and how do we do that? We have, you know, researchers that will talk about everything from the economic, educational, criminal justice and health disparities we see in America, where it came from and what we can do about it. Um, we're also gonna have keynote conversations with people who have done this work. So on day one, talking about repentance, we have a gentleman who was the former grand dragon of the KKK of Indiana, who's now an assistant minister at a predominantly black church, uh, doing the work of, uh, work of uh, racial justice. Um, day two on forgiveness, We're going to be talking about what that looks like. We have uh, Anthony Ray Hinton, who was um, wrongfully accused and charged with uh, murder uh, in Alabama. He was sentenced to 30 years on death row. Um, And this gentleman is now free, but he has gone through a process of understanding forgiveness because nobody ever apologized for locking him up. As a matter of fact, he was told on his way to the jail, he said, look, I didn't do this. Like I, I can prove where I was. And the police officer said, doesn't matter whether you did it or not the jury is going to take one look at your black skin and they're going to say you're guilty. And so that's exactly what happened. And then day 3, again, we're going to be talking about the practical application of God's word, how it looks in real life uh to right wrongs through conciliation. Um and uh again, it's it's just it's an online summit so you don't have to, you know, show up in any particular location. Our goal is to give people the tools to actually right wrongs, not just to sit and learn about, you know, the data. That's part of it. But we also want to equip people to make make a difference and make changes.
0: That's that's awesome. And I think that's completely needed. Our friend, uh, Justin Gibney, is going to be uh, mm-hmm. speaking there uh, along with many others. So definitely register um, at, is it faithinprejudice.com? Backslash summit. That's it. Mm-hmm. Backslash summit. And you can yep. use the code faith partner to get $5 off. That's great. So uh, is there anything else that you want our audience to know about uh, faith and prejudice and the work you're doing and the summit that that we haven't covered that you think is important?
1: No, I think, I think what we covered was, was great. Um, I would just want to give a shout out to the work that you and your, your team are doing through Jude three. I think it's so important and we see this now when people don't have an authentic grounding uh, in scripture and understanding scriptural interpretation and application, we end up where we are. And I think what you are doing and really trying to make sure that we are staying true to uh, the the intent of God's heart and giving us the gift of his word, um, that to me is so foundational to the work we're even trying to do at Faith and Prejudice. We're trying to get people uh, back to a place of authentic understanding of god's word and, and that's where it starts and so i appreciate the work you all are doing
0: well thank you so much nona this has been a rich time i'm so glad to have you on the podcast again and thank you all uh for listening to uh watching another episode of the jew3 project podcast you can catch all our episodes at jew3project.org backslash podcast you can get our curriculum through eyes of color and don't forget to register for courageous conversations this year in Washington, D.C., September 3rd and 4th. You can register at CourageousConvos.org. Remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it. God bless. Grace and peace. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune in to all our past episodes at www.jew3project.org. in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play searching Jude 3 Project and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to jude3project.com hit that donate tab and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online we appreciate you and i'm so so thankful for you god bless and remember here at the jupe 3 project we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it